That's really the dilemma, not what you have or don't have, but the who that is in place that you're the one that's having or not having. Yeah? That's the dilemma, because even when you approach spirituality, you approach it from that point of view. You cannot, if you're identified as self, approach it any other way. You see it, because you're seeing yourself as the subject, you make a spiritual path have an object, let's say, enlightenment or nirvana, but it's cast out into being its pure subjectivity, and yet you make it an object to your pseudo-subjectivity. See? You believe, I am this. And in the mental realm, all it is is a subjective experience. That's all that's happening up there. It's all pertaining to you. It's all based on you. You, the idea of being a you, is giving everything all the meaning it has. So in the mental realm, all it is a purely subjective experience. There's no objective truth there. There's no clarity there. It's all made up. It's, it's really, the best word to express it is seemingly, yeah? which means it appears true or false to you. Your whole world is seemingly the way it is. It's not the way it is. It seems to be that way. If certain situations and conditions change your mental state, it'll seem to be different. Because there's no solid, real, separate thing out there. It's all made up by the mind. The mind is giving it all the meaning it has. And so the mind is having a subjective experience here, when actually this is an object. So this object assumes it's a subject, and of course, once it becomes a subject, defined by duality, then everything else becomes an object to it. So the truth now becomes an object to you. So you believe you're going to have a subjective experience of the truth, when actually, in my view, the truth is pure subjectivity. You cannot have an experience of the truth as you. You cannot make the truth an object for you to have a subjective experience of. Because it's pure subjectivity. There's no object in it. There's no... Like they say, it's one without a second. I believe it's none without a first. There's no first with a second. There's none. Yeah. So there's no, all there is is subjectivity. But if the mind presents you as the subject, it makes that an object, let's say called enlightenment, or nirvana, or the void, or emptiness. And there's a sense that you, as the subject, can experience emptiness. You can have a subjective experience of all there is because the mind has made it an object. How did it make it an object? By making it a subject. Everything else gets thrown into objectivity. It has to happen that way. So you, in this identification, cannot truly entertain you are that. Because you're already entertaining you are something else. So you cannot entertain that you are all there is because you think you're already something. Yes? So you're always, always... When identification's in place, you're always entertaining everything from the sense of being a self, which causes the open secret to be a real super secret secret. You don't see the obvious, because the seeing, it's not like what you do or what you have, it's how you do and how you have. Seeing, when it becomes subjectified by this, becomes a way of looking. Yes? The way of looking we have been saddled with, or it's not even a we saddled with it, the experience that most of us are having in the mental realm is called self-centeredness. Yeah? So our experience is centered in what? At this idea of being a self. A feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yes? Which is a thought. The idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity is, is a thought, but it's wrapped with a feeling. So you don't have an idea of being a self, you have a sense of it. Yeah? You feel, as there's living going on, there's a feeling the mental process is producing is that there's a you that's having this life. There's a you that's doing, and the you that life is happening to, and a you, and a you, and a you. It's a vague feeling, yes? Reinforcing this one thought the mind has produced. When there was the questioning aspect of real mind going, what am I? The mental process says, I am this, a body. I'm a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And the mind became identified as that, the big mind, and now its ability, which is it can entertain peace, 
It can know serenity. It can entertain infinity. Now, the only way it entertains is it entertains as a self. So when it entertains peace, it's, it entertains it as a goal that it's going to get. Yeah? So you believe you're going to have an experience of the truth. You're going to have a subjective experience of pure subjectivity. How could that possibly be? There is no pseudo-subjectivity. That's, the, that's the, the realization. All there is is subjectivity. Yes? There isn't you looking for the truth. There's, there's the, they're seeing from the truth. It's interpreted as you looking for the truth by the head. But what's happening is they're seeing. In other words, consciousness or awareness. Now, that's what I imply by the word seeing. I'm not implying vision. That's one of the gates it comes through. I'm applying the awareness, that innate awareness that's always available at all times, yes? That awareness is seen. When the mental process says there's a you, that awareness, the event of being, that awareness, is now claimed as I'm seeing. Paul is looking. Paul is hearing. Paul is feeling. Paul is tasting. Paul is touching. When Buddha had a beautiful statement, I don't know if he said it or not, but I like it. And it said, when you see, see. When you hear, hear. When you feel, feel. When you taste, taste. When you touch, touch. That's conscious contact. Yeah? The mental interpretation of that event is, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing that, I'm feeling this, I'm smelling that, I'm thinking this, and then... There's options then. I don't have to be thinking this. As soon as you claim the activity, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, the dualistic framework appears. You think you don't have to see. But if, you, if your eye was open and you were looking out the window and a bird flew by, you had no choice of seeing that bird. You may say right afterwards, I didn't want to see that bird, but you saw the bird. Yes? The seeing was way prior to the narration of, I don't want to see. I don't like that bird. Oh, it looks like my bird. Where is my bird? Is it out there? And then all of this thinking that gets cooked up or spawned or generated by the claiming, yes, by the claiming of conscious contact, a story unfolds. Now, life is seen as I'm conscious. And when you believe you're conscious, you also believe you can be unconscious. And if the truth is all there is is consciousness, then those are just movements in a stated, an unstated stability called consciousness. You can be aware as that, instead of thinking you are unconscious or conscious based on what you did or didn't do today. Which in recovery they say that whole idea of believing your state is based on what you do or don't do, playing God. That's what it's called in my view. That's what it says, and recovery says the how and why of the whole program is we need to quit playing God. Why? It doesn't work. What is it but that, that, that what else could playing God be that? When all there is is consciousness, but in your interpretation, you can be unconscious to that consciousness, or you can be conscious. Who's the bigger God than the consciousness? You are. Yeah? Or you say, oh, I want to know God, but if I don't want to know God, I don't need to know God. I would say you're the bigger God than God. If you're the one that sets the rules for God to be known or not, I'd say you're the bigger God. That to me is the act of playing God. It doesn't work. Quit it. Now people, if they try to stop playing God, that's also playing God. Yeah? So... Because of the failed system we're identified with, when we try to get out of self, that's another form of being in self. Yeah, this is how it gets you. You run into its hostility and its total unreliability, and there's a valid urge maybe to escape it, but you're trapped by the format you become identified as. Because what we'll be thinking it's escaping it is the idea of being a self. So what some people would nobly say, oh, this man is really working to get out of self. To me, you're, that's an activity of being in self. Yeah. Because self can't get out of self. Every movement of self getting out of self is being in self. The verb of it. You can't be in self because you're not. But the verb of acting as if you are, that's what it is. It's, in, it's when it looks like you're out of it and when it looks like you're in it. Yeah? 
They're both attributes of the identification as self. They're both bondage to self. So the dilemma is, you may have this noble drive to start practicing something to get some relief from the unbearability of acting and living and interpreting life from what you're not. But what we'll be trying to get out of it is what you're not. <laughs> and trying to get out of it as what you're not is being in what you're not, in a sense. Yeah. The mind... The big mind, let's say, not the ordinary mental process, the mind, which has an incredible infinite ability to entertain. It can entertain infinity, it can entertain peace and serenity. It knows it like the back of its hand. Now is entertaining that it's a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, a body. Yeah? Why do you think your life of separation is so juicy? Do you think the advertising is that good? If you've ever had a moment where you've woken up from it, it looks so bogus. Your mind has been presenting the same old, same old for years. It's not the advertising that's good, it's what's entertaining it that's really good. That mind is unbelievable. So when it entertains separation, it's like giving John Coltrane a theme note. John, riff on separation. It can just go to town, and that's what your life looks like. You think this, this illusion can produce exquisite suffering? It's what's entertaining this illusion to be real, which is what produces the exquisiteness of the suffering. This presentation is bogus. Anyone who has a, who's had a moment of clarity sees it like that. Even when you did acid, you'd see it. You'd see how everything's plastic here. You didn't have to go to the Himalayas. Just take a tab of acid and you see the plasticity of what you were calling to be real. Almost everyone, it hits them like that. Yeah, It's not a great trick. But what's been fooled is incredibly great. What's been fooled is unbelievable. It is so unbelievable that when it is subservient to this idea of being a self, it can produce an effect now by in what's not happening. It can project Panavision on thoughts that are about next Friday, and you will believe those thoughts that you will experience anxiety now, or the physiological and the mental effects of what we would call fear, with nothing here to provoke it. It's made in a no-land. It's made in a no-field. It's made out of a no-farm. And yet there's a crop that's harvested, and it gets dropped into the body and the brain, and you experience contraction, mind racing, and you're reacting. And if someone looked at you, they wouldn't know what was flipping you out, because it's not actually happening. It's only happening in the mental realm. Yes? So the mind goes to a place that doesn't exist, and by dwelling there mentally, it produces a product from that place, and it downloads it right where you are now. So you can be totally flipping out about next Friday, based purely on speculation that your, your head is you know, rushing with. Oh, I could be destitute next Friday. The fact is, you're not now, but that gets overridden like that. And you believe that, and it overrides all the evidence that's available now, and it and you take the evidence, the false evidence, that's appearing real. It's unbelievable. The fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. False evidence cannot be real. It can only appear real to you. Yeah? You cannot, no matter how much you're thinking about next Friday, you cannot produce it here. I will not see next Friday now. I don't care how much you're thinking about it. I don't care if you're totally flipping out about it. I will not see it. I won't taste it, I won't touch it, I won't hear it. I may think about it, but the next Friday I would think about would be different than the next Friday you're thinking about. It's purely subjective in this mental realm. There is not a next Friday that I would be worrying exactly the way you're worrying about. Because it's not a solid, real thing called next Friday. Well, first of all, there's nothing solid and real here. But even in the illusion, it's not as solid as real. You're having a total subjective experience in the mental realm. You're producing an imaginary crop. Judge the tree by the fruit, like Jesus supposedly said. Check it out. Where did this fruit come from? From what's not happening? There's your immunity. People tell me, what should I do? 
about what's not happening. See that it's not happening. That's it. If you tell the truth it's not happening, there's an immediate case to have freedom right at that point. Freedom from what? From nothing. What would you have to do to have freedom from nothing? Nothing. If you do something, that makes it real, doesn't it? If I do something, if I go to a therapist and talk about what's not happening to me, of course they're probably going to want to listen because I'm paying the money, but if they were worth their salt, they'd give me a solution. Hey, bro, it's not happening. You don't need the next 59 minutes. Go, hit the road, help someone else. Go to the soup kitchen, volunteer. But you don't understand. I do understand. It's not happening. What better solution to nothing is that? And what response would you need? Absolutely no response. I don't have to figure out why that's bothering me. Just realize it's not happening. Yeah? What happens when you realize it's not happening? Your attention and interest that's in this black hole called selfing, up that ass of self, gets free from there, and where is it? Right where it is, right now. Instead of dwelling in the mental realm, it's now being conveyed and participating in conscious contact. You're seeing, you're hearing, you're feeling, you're tasting, you're touching, and there's a sense of presence in that. You're here. Yes? Not waiting to feel here in the next retreat, but now, very immediate, with no basing on any of your doing or having. There's no God playing in this. There's a recognition. What more reminder do you want than conscious contact? Usually, let's say you get a reminder at your hotel room. They call you up or they put a note in the door. This is coming through five gates. You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and seeing thoughts all day. Six, six uh, like wake-up calls are happening every moment for your, for your lunched-out head. Six. Consciousness is seeing thoughts, consciousness is hearing, consciousness is tasting, touching, feeling, smelling, and you don't get it? I mean, what is it one you do? Hit, hit you with a big fucking hammer? Wait, wait a minute. I'm just not feeling like I'm here. You cannot not be here. This whole idea of getting into the moment is totally bogus. You can't be out of the moment. Yeah? Why would you want to read a book of how to get into the moment? All it's reinforcing is your belief you could be out of the moment. You cannot be out of any freaking moment. There's no moment for you without you there. There's no moment. There's no moment you've ever missed. The moment you were in, that, and while you were thinking in that moment that you were missing a moment, that was what you were missing, by believing that you were missing a moment. That was the moment you were missing. Your whole activity of relying on what's not happening is how you seem to miss a moment. Not by what you didn't do or doing that. Right there and then, the mind's preoccupation with what's not happening is what you would call missing the moment. And then the free will, another one. Where do you exert more free will? You exert free will in the mental realm about the past, don't you? And the future. I should have, what if, if only. You have tons of free will back there, but here you act like a freaking victim. If you feel like you have free will, exert, do the next right thing. Oh, that's so difficult. But then you go in the past, if I wouldn't have walked across that street, I wouldn't have got hit by the car. But you did get hit by the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to really acknowledge that. I want to think what I could have done to prevent me from getting hit by a car. Because I believe if I wouldn't have got hit by the car, my life would have been great. You see? It's all a giant advertising. It's promising you candy. It's all mind candy. And your mind just travels past and future, like on this, this magic carpet of thoughts. What if, if only, I should have. What's going to happen to me? I know it's going to be really great when I go to Hawaii. Then you get to Hawaii, all you think about is your job. When you're in your job, all you think about is Hawaii. You get to Hawaii, then you think about your job. It's... If you have an immunity to this, you can be free from it. And you cannot have an immunity to that as a thought. There's no freaking way. What casts you into the mental realm is your identification as a thought. That's your citizenship. If you want to deny that citizenship by saying, maybe possibly I'm not that, that thought, you will have immunity to thought. 
You'll be able to see what's blue when it's blue and what's red when it's red. And you'll have an obviousness of what's not happening. Because why? It's not happening. It's the easiest thing to recognize because there's no recognition of it. It's only being presented in thought. If I look around, next Friday's not happening. I could look under here. Where's next Friday? I heard it was over here. And terrible things are coming, I know. Oh, you gotta worry. I gotta go see it in there. No, there's no next Friday. It's a mental projection. Yeah? You're addicted to mind. You're getting played, hugely. Back and forth, back and forth, hoping for something, you'll finally arrive one day. Finally, when I get all my, my ducks in a row, it'll translate into being happy, joyous, and free. What's happened? You've arrived many times, only to keep journeying for the next arrival. Every mythical there, when you arrive at it, it's a boring here. And then the boring here gets invalidated and with the mythical there. And then the mythical here gets arrived, turns into a here. Then another there gets presented. It's all just, come on, further in the mental realm. Come, come on. You'll be special. It's going to be really great. One day, you're going to, everyone's going to know what you've been thinking of yourself. You're so wonderful. Come on, let's go. Yeah. You can't say no to it. Because if a thought is seen as it's about you, you'll be interested in it. Just like you're not interested when you hear other people's thoughts. I could... I will be bored stiff of your selfing in five minutes, but I've been listening to this selfing for 40 years and thinking it's incredibly novel and interesting. Why is that? I could have a marquee outside and it would say, a movie tonight, one night only, Paul's story. Now, I bet you about 38 people would come, all Paul's, with the hope that it's about them, and maybe a couple girlfriends of Paul's to see if they want to be right about their opinion of Paul. But I know it's about me. This Paul. So we close the door and I got stale popcorn and all this and that. And everyone's really excited, you know. There's like a buzz in the room. They're just waiting. Oh, I hope this is a long film. <laughs> I want to see. I hope they captured me and put me in a good light when I was three and four. I know. It's going to be great. So everyone's sitting there and suddenly it starts. As soon as everyone recognizes it's not about them, they lose complete interest in it. I'm the only one that's captivated. I'm sitting there. The phone's going to ring. Is it the fairy princess? This is a very profound moment in my life. Everyone's yawning and they can't, they like to get out, but the doors are locked. (laughs) They have no interest in it whatsoever. They didn't have to take a workshop to lose interest in this movie. They realized it wasn't about them. As soon as you realize this stuff isn't about you, you will lose interest in it. You don't have to take tons of workshops. Maybe that's your destiny, but you don't have to. To me, that's just increased interest in it. If you take two years of how to get out of self-workshops, that's being in self, in a sense. But this is you lose interest in it because it's not about you. What happens? You don't lose interest. You just lose interest in that. You have tons of interest. I mean, interest is like an infinite well. You don't run out of interest and attention. But you can, it can be put in and taken out of things. Right now, most of our interest and attention is in the thing, the thought thing called self. It's a verb, selfing, that produces an illusion of being a noun. Yeah? So this activity produces the, ex- the feeling of being the subject. Yes? You, it's your life. Life is happening to me. Life is not happening to any of us. Life is just happening. There's no direction it's taking at us. There's no giant conspiracy for it to defeat us at all. There's just life is happening. So, <laughs> so here it is. So the thoughts coming in, yes, this is the daily narration that keeps you bound. The thoughts to me are held either two ways. Either you believe you're the thinker of them, which causes your interest to bond to it, or they're about you, which also... In, creates the bonding, or not creates, makes the bonding to the thoughts. So, even against your will, you keep seeing them. And you keep, when there's a seeing of the thought from looking, from self-centeredness, the name Paul represents tons of files. Tons of files of old ideas and conditionings and freaking crazy beliefs like maybe I'm not enough, I'll never be loved, and everything like that. So a thought comes, and you believe the thought's bringing you in meaning, but really, when there's this act of claiming the thought as mine, yes, or about me, that 
then a lot of ideas and meaning gets injected into that thought from your conditioning. So a thought, in a sense, has no power to really affect you, but when it's my thought, it writes a whole story. You see? It spawns a story. One thought can spawn a whole story with the word my in front of it, which signifies the act of identification. The thought is seen, but you believe it's yours, or it's, you're the thinker of it. As soon as you do that, there's a bonding element. Yeah? If you could see it was someone else's thought, you would have no interest in it. But now this one captures your attention, and you believe it. And you immediately get whisked away into the mental realm. Immediately. You're either dwelling in the past, where all thoughts are from, and there's speculations about a future. It's called slavery. Simple as that. You're yoked to this two-pronged activity of they're my thoughts, I'm the thinker, or they're about me. I'm the thinker or they're about me. So thousands of thoughts are seen, but you don't see the underlying cradle of them, how your head is holding them, which is they're about me or I'm the thinker of them. That's the bonding agent, not the thought. And that is like the, the bridge where all these old ideas and all this meaning is injected into the thoughts. And those thoughts orbit around you, and that orbit creates a sense of being the planet Paul. I would say the sun, really, because you're the end-all and be-all of everything. In Buddhism, they talk about cherishing the self. That's the activity of the mental process. It loves what it's made. It loves it. It strokes it. It dwells on it. It grooms it. It goes over and over again. It represents every day hundreds of times, so you can see it in all these different views from you. I have a perfect example when I was a kid. I remember I was 11, I share this a lot. It had a big effect on me. You know, I was going into this hormone, hormonal stage, and girls seemed to be something other than they used to be. And a girl said hello to me very innocently in school, and I went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. I sat in a room, and my mind presented it and represented it and represented it in every possible way it could in a very small system called self-centeredness. Unbelievable. Always rooted in, how does this pertain to me? She probably didn't even notice me. She was just probably saying hello, but I'm thinking, will I marry her? Ooh, I think she thinks I'm an asshole. Oh, tons of, just selfing. Unbelievably. Five hours. It was like one little event in a day full of millions of events in a school filled up with hundreds of kids, and yet my mind represented it. That's what your head's doing to you all freaking day. Maybe not as dramatically, but that's what it does. It overrides the conscious contact, and then it represents what's actually happening in a mental light. It's called being out to lunch, literally. Totally unconscious, which you cannot be, because all you are is consciousness. But you can seem to be unconscious here. It can appear to be true or false to you. This whole world is appearing to be either true or false to you. It's all based on where you're seeing it from. If you're seeing it from the point of view of self, you're going to be taking false evidence to be appearing real, quite a lot. And you're going to try to seek for a real antidote. And the only antidote is to recognize it's false evidence. It's not real. But you will not take that medicine usually, so you look for solutions or relief, drinking, using, acting out, doing this, doing that, to get a little relief from the unbearability. The product that the mind is producing out of what's not happening. Really, if in, a, in a, a normal life, maybe 15 times in your life, you really had the emotion of fear, like when you were really threatened. But the mind is producing the physiological effects of fear all day. Out of nothing. It's producing anxiety out of next Friday. It's the greatest miracle worker, really. I always say this, but, you know, Jesus supposedly brought back that guy Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus at least was alive. This mind's bringing something out of nothing all fucking day and producing an effect in you, in this. It can't produce an effect in you, but it can produce an effect with what your mind's identified with, for sure. Obviously, yeah? The anxiety people are in, they're in a constant uh, 
the contraction isn't even going like this anymore. It's just like this, yeah? Where everything has a dualistic movement, like inhale, exhale. There's opening and contracting, but now we're like locked in. We can't even open. They're contrived openings. We get loaded or jump off a bungee cord with a bridge, trying to wake up out of it. But basically, we're constantly in a contraction. The mind is just like, <laughs> selfing, yeah? And it's just surrounded by past and future. And it's being like pressed. <laughs> and it's under attack, literally. That's what was a beautiful lesson in the Course in Miracles. They used to say, my, my, they use this word, my attack thoughts are, are attacking my invulnerability. So how could invulnerability be hurt? They can only seem to be attacked, but obviously there's no effect because it's invulnerable. That's exactly the case, yeah? The thoughts seem to be attacking, but the, what they're attacking isn't you. That's the immunity. And if you realize it wasn't you, you would actually not pay much attention to the skirmish that's going on all day when the self is bringing up its idea of being a self to task and convicting it and judging it and sentencing it. Doesn't it do that all day? Aren't you in that little court system of head where you're the jury, the judge, the convict, the prosecutor, the defense? Yes, aren't you? Haven't you been convicted many, many times? Aren't you really, in a sense, serving a jail sentence in that mental realm? Who's the hardest judge on you? A judge in this world or you? Your head has been kicking your its own made-up ass constantly. Who, who? Let's say you saw the greatest spiritual teacher of one you believed you thought was the greatest. Yeah. Let's just say, let's say you respect this one teacher more than anyone else. And they came in this room and they looked at you in the face and said, there's not, there's, you need do nothing then, now, or later. And you would probably have this washing of an incredible amount of relief because it's, it, you, you, this authority of all authorities just gave you permission to let go. But I bet you you'd go home and two hours later you'd be sitting on that fucking cushion meditating again. Doing that because the real authority would jump in once again. The plain God. It would erase this super pseudo authority that you've held up. It's really easy to have dead masters fucking super easy. You can make them anything you want. But you're always the big authority. Really. If someone told you there's nothing you need to do, you'd maybe really like that sound, but you'd still be fucking doing a lot a couple hours later. Or thinking you were doing a lot. You have to see, like Jesus also said, you got to see, you can't serve two masters at once. If you're serving the master of mind, I don't care what you're professing to serve, you're the devotee of mind. And you can tell a devotee of mine, you know, in a devotional life out there, they're like this, but the devotee of mine's like this, worrying, believing every thought about what's not happening. They have such an addiction that everything could be going great, and all they need is one thought to sort of provoke a little doubt, and their whole day's ruined. <laughs> one thought, one thought. When they, what's going to happen when they find out I'm a fraud? That was more than one thought. The whole day goes, yeah. Maybe you were doing great auditioning or something, but the one hand goes, you really don't belong here. Oh. <laughs> that easy. Five thoughts. Five thoughts, your whole life would be different. Any given situation, if there was a gun and then your thought added, your mind added five thoughts, I should shoot this motherfucker. You'd probably be in prison right now. It had nothing to do with you. You're addicted to thoughts. If you had five extra thoughts and they told you it was a good idea to shoot that person, you probably would have. Our whole condition here is totally based on not us, you know, the grace of not having as many thoughts as others have, really. Yeah? Some people have a thought, something goes wrong, they want to kill that person. We go, you know, I can't say anything. What would people think? Maybe that serves us to survive longer. But there's no person doing it. It's just the conditioning of the apparatus. So I don't know. For me, it started to shift dramatically when I lost interest in its mechanism. Yeah? And why I lost interest in its mechanism is because I entertained I wasn't that. It was as simple as that. When I started to entertain I'm not that, my interest and attention was withdrawn 
And then something, if you want to call it grace or God, started to distribute my, this interest and attention to where it wanted to invest it in. And there was a great return in that investment. Instead of going into that black hole of I be my, it was going into light. Yes. And the translation here, as this has been a traveling lighter, as simple as that. A very, very stabilized, long-term traveling lighter through a lot of different circumstances and situations. The ability is already there for you to outshine circumstances and situations, not to be defined by them. You are the light of all light. You can outshine a pseudo-light, yes? What seems to be appearing has no sway over what really is, unless you believe that you're an appearance. Like we talked about the last the other night, here we are... A, bunch of waves coming to a meeting to talk about the ocean. Yeah? And for you to take yourself to be a wave, there has to be an act of denial of being the ocean. Or you wouldn't take the wave life as seriously as you do. <laughs> so, the wave is an appearance, obviously, of what? Ocean. Yes? But the wave, being defined or identified with its appearance or definition precludes it cannot possibly be the ocean because it's a wave. And now, maybe in that wave life, it feels so unhappy that it actually seeks to have an experience of the ocean, which even fucks it up even more, because it is the ocean. Yeah? All it has to do is entertain, I'm not a wave, and that's that. Yeah? There's no process to become the ocean as a wave. All there is is to recognize you're not a wave, that's that. Yeah? It's instantaneous. You don't process from wave to ocean. You just realize there isn't a wave, that's ocean. And there was an ocean all the time, you were identified as the appearance of a wave, it doesn't change the fact that you are ocean. That's what happened. Someone gave me this invitation, I entertained it, and the wave recognized, didn't, there was no wave recognizing it, entertained that it wasn't this, and then one time... The entertaining really rang true. And the emphasis of my life shifted from this as being the Alpha and the Omega, and sort of this, which was always presented in the mental realm as the foreground, got moved to the background. And then all there is, and the presence, got moved to the foreground. It was just a slight shift in calibration, emphasis that changed everything. Literally, there was nothing needed to be done. That everything was done accordingly. The wave recognized it wasn't a wave, that's the ocean. Yeah? The emphasis, instead of being on the peak and the crest and what beach is going to hit and the shells it's going to pick up and everything like that, soar, it's sort of like the tree consciousness and the forest consciousness. Yes, The tree recognizes it's a forest and now it sees through the tree as forest consciousness. It's sort of the same feeling in a way. The wave recognizes it's not a wave, now it sees from oceanness. And then what used to really bedevil it as a wave loses uh, impact. Not because it did or had anything, not because it became a master of how to be a wave and not be affected by the wave-like situations, it just realized it's not a wave. That was the true solid immunity to all the wave-like Trials and tribulations. I'm not that. <laughs> All your interest and attention is, is defined. It has to go to where you believe you are. If you believe you're a mental idea, your interest and attention is dwelling on that. Even when you're dwelling on, let's say, the truth, you're dwelling on the truth as that. More dwelling is always on that than whatever you're dwelling on. When you realize you're not that, what, where your interest and attention dwells in, I believe, is in its source. Yes? So it rests in awareness, and now it's attentive and interested in what comes up during the day, but it doesn't lose its source of knowing what's so. It doesn't get caught and become the glove. It realizes it's the hand. Yes? It never loses the realization it's the hand, even though it's appearing as a glove. It doesn't get fooled by all the interpretations of everything through the glove, because it has a solid understanding, I'm the hand. Yeah? 
That's what is, if here, if this was a world of one sense, and all you could tell this world by was by feeling, yes? And let's say, in this world, there was a scripture, of course it would be in Braille, yeah? And in that scripture, they describe the incredible softness of rose petals as almost a way of symbolizing or indicating that incredible space of fullness, yeah? So that incredible, subtle feel of the thing. And so here you are, and somehow you grew into a glow, yes? The hand that is your whole experience is now wearing a coarse glove. So everything you touch is being interpreted through the glove. Yeah? Not the hand, though the hand is animating a glove. The life is being interpreted as a glove, not the hand. And that glove is coarse. Just like your idea of being a self, not your idea. The idea of the mind is very, very coarse and very, very small. So here it is. So everything, everything, because all you can know anything by is by feeling it, you're feeling it through the glove. And even if you got to that mythical rose garden, and you walk through the roses, and you touch each rose petal, with the words of the scripture ringing, it wouldn't translate to the experience. It would still feel coarse. Yeah? The rose, you wouldn't get the subtlety of the rose petal, because it would be going through a glove, a thick, coarse glove. That's what's happening here. We're just trying to wake up, or not even, you can't wake up, because it's not asleep. We're inviting... Let's say, through the glove, an invitation to the hand, yes? To do what? To entertain, not command or draft or conscript, but entertain, I may not possibly be the glove. When it does, as soon as it realizes it's not the glove, what becomes a possibility? I can come out of it. Just like in recovery, when you're identified as self, you can't entertain being free of it. That's why you go to therapy. That's why you try to do all this shit for it. Because you can't entertain truly being free of it. Because you're identified as it. That's why people kill themselves. They don't drink, but they shoot themselves in the head. Because they think, this is them. I have to go for this to stop. That's because they don't entertain, I'm not that. If you entertain, I'm not that, you can entertain, be freeing of that. Not by killing yourself, but actually living free of the effects of selfing. Yes? It all is a possible when you see I'm not that. When, he, when the hand sees it's not the glove, does it, have to, does it have to get another glove to get out of the glove? No. It pulls out immediately. It has the possibility. Because before, it always had the possibility, but it thought it was the glove, so it never entertained it. It could go like this. That's what this message is. It's a simple invitation. The hand comes out. Now feel something. Now see how your experience may coincide with the scriptures. Now see what Jesus may have been meaning when he says, you're in this world, but not of this world. Maybe you'll get a sense of that. Maybe in recovery you'll understand peace and comprehend serenity. Maybe you'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. Selfing can never entertain something without its thought or effort involved in it. And yet it says in our book, you'll be placed in a position, you will not achieve a position of neutrality, you cannot possibly do so as a self. But you can be placed in one, a position of neutrality, with no thought or effort on your part. The amazing thing is, the problem will not even exist for you anymore. Because the problem, as described in the forward, one of the forwards, it's, we are a hundred people who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Seemingly. If you look at the word in the definition, it means it appears true or false to you. So the hopeless state of mind and body is appearing to be true or false to you. Yes? When you get this message of recovery, what was seemingly true is false. Because if, if it was a hopeless state of mind and body, nothing would have happened. Right? It was hopeless. It's all seemingly so. There is no relevance out here. There's nothing solid and real out here. It's all appearance, projected by the mind. Yeah? And you'll know it, but you'll know the tree by the freaking fruit. You don't need someone to describe to you it to affirm that the truth has been sensed. 
from, you'll know. You've got the gut to feel it. If you like reading scriptures, great, but you don't need any other authority. You're your own authority. You're conscious. Then abandon yourself. doesn't mean you abandon. How can you abandon you? You're all there is. It says abandon the self. You fucking finally abandon the self as you. You abandon that. You give it up without reservation. Boom. The hand was always the hand. It just appeared to be the glove. Yeah, it always had the possibility of not being that. It always had the possibility of not being defined by that. Always. It was always available at all times. It just never entertained it. Because it was identified as the glove. How would you ever think of getting out of a glove if you thought you were the glove? How can you ever entertain getting out of this body unless, because you believe you're the body? I had this uncle that I really liked, and I saw him, he, was, he died when I was nine. And my mother took me to the funeral. She brought me in front of the casket, and his name was Uncle Fred. And I looked, and I saw Uncle Fred, and immediately my head hit, had a hit, and it, it was, uh, that ain't Uncle Fred. I saw the body that I was calling Uncle Fred. The reason why I was calling that body Uncle Fred, I was calling this body Paul. That was the dilemma. See, when you're identified as a glove, you see everyone else as a glove. <laughs> but there was that moment I saw it, and it was that this is not Uncle Fred. The animating spirit that I was assuming was the body had left. And it was obvious that the body had never been Uncle Fred. Yes? It was like the conductor or the conveyor of Uncle Fredness, you know? But it wasn't Uncle Fred. So don't mistake the spirit by what it moves through, please. Because if you take this to be the subject, you'll make the spirit an object. And now you'll become a spiritual seeker, looking for the spirit as something other than you, to get as an advantage as this. It doesn't work. It's like grafting spirit onto a body. You can't graft spirit onto a body. You can't learn spirit. You are spirit. You can be invited to entertain it, but you can't learn what spirit is. It's the living of it. Are you going to sit here and study spirit as a body? <laughs> what the most pointless activity of all time. I'm really trying to get an understanding of it. Please don't. It's all self-knowledge and it's going to avail you now. Nothing. If you're identified as self, every bit of knowledge you come in contact with, the selfing is claiming it. And it says in our book, self-knowledge avails you nothing. None of that knowledge will lead you to freedom from self. It's just claiming it and using it as another way of reflecting self. Yes, now I'm a spiritual self. Before I was an addict self. No, you weren't. You weren't an addict self, nor are you a spiritual self. You're a verb. You've never been a noun. Life has just been living. Not to me or for me or as me or by me, but through. Yes. Am I this? Am I that hose or am I the water? Yeah. Am I the hose, or am I the water? If I bring the hose over, does the garden get any refreshment? I need the water needs to be turned on, then the garden gets refreshed, yeah? But what happens is the water goes through and the hose claims it. Oh, I'm sprinkling all my grace on everybody. There's no hose sprinkling any grace on anything. It's like a plastic hole, right, with thing. There's nothing in it. That's why it can conduct something. So the water is coming in. Don't be fooled by what it's moving through. The water. Then you realize there was never a hose. There was no hose conducting the water. All there is is water. All there is is spirit. I did it. I put it to the test. I've, I put it to the test. I've been giving talks for 19 years. 19 years of nights and days where I could have been in any circumstance and situations 10 minutes before. I just sat my ass down because there was never a sense of me doing it, and then something happened. Every freaking time. I batted a thousand, because I never showed up to the plate. This did not go over my head. It dawned on me. Yeah, I'm not two levels below a coconut. None of us are. It dawned on me. Jesus, life goes on spectacularly without me being involved in it. As soon as the narrator takes over, there would be a reason why I couldn't go to the meeting. 
Maybe I was not nice to someone a couple hours before. And someone who's spiritual, who can give spiritual talks, has to be nice all the time. If they show any anger, that negates them as a spiritual teacher. Give me a fucking break. All those things, if those things don't hold you, anything can happen. Put it to the test. Abandon yourself. How are you going to know in the recovery if the higher power can catch you unless you fall? I don't give a shit how much you talk about it. Unless you fall, you don't have a verification of it can catch you. You've all had these little uh, trick ropes to make sure, you know? It was always like, I got a second plan. Abandon yourself. Abandon this idea of being yourself. See what happens. If you really want to be convinced, that's the way to be convinced. Put it to the test. Just give it a shot. Yeah? What's the worst thing that happened? Well, the worst thing has already happened tons of times already. The thing you're afraid of is going to happen to you. You've been living in its effects this whole time. Literally. I could be living my whole life. I'm afraid to get hit by a car. I've been hit already twice. Still afraid of being hit by a car. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid before I got hit. Now I'm totally afraid after I get hit. <laughs> it's incredible. You just tie the way all your interest and attention to these imaginary impending dooms. It's like living ballless, you know. You're like we're, we're walking around begging for our balls, you know. Well, please, please. Be an authority, tell me it's okay. Then you hate the authority that tells you it's okay. Every savior you end up hating, don't you? Every savior you end up hating. They had a story. There was an old psychiatrist called Wilhelm Reich. I think he was a psychiatrist, psychologist. And he wrote a really cool book called The Murder of Christ. When I was young, I got introduced to it. And in this book, he talks about this denial of what we are by acting as what we're not. The emotional plague of man. Yeah? And everyone knows the answer. Every mind knows it's not this, that it's presenting itself as. It does. That's why there's so much anxiety and fear underneath everything. But, and everyone's acting as if they really want to be free, but they actually don't want to be free. They like being in this enslavement. Yeah? So they build these institutions in the, in the, the dream, like institutionalized religions that point outside the trap, but have no intention of taking anyone outside the trap. They're just a lot, they're there to make you feel a little better being in the trap, yeah? A little bit morally superior or whatever. And then a guy comes, let's say, and if you're not into Christianity, it doesn't matter, it could be anyone. Jesus comes, shows up. And these people love him. I mean, he's just booming and just beautiful and lights sparkling and they're like, oh, they're like crazy. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. Then hanging, hanging around for a couple of years, they're the same people in three years calling for his crucifixion. They couldn't wait to get rid of his ass. Because he was a terrible reminder of what they actually were that they never really want to be. Even though they profess they like to be free, they have no intention of wanting to be free. I love that, man. It just pulled my coverage when I was 18. I said, woo! I had my pants pulled down and I couldn't find them to pull them back up. Jesus, I actually don't want to be free. I want to want to be free. That's looking pretty good. I can put a really produce a nice production in that. Never really arriving, so it's safe, you know. But I, you know, you meditate four hours, and then peace starts happening. You get right up. <laughs> as long as your mind's going crazy, you're sitting there. As soon as he gets really good, oh, well, I got to do the laundry. There's no intention to be free. So that was an incredible admittance that I don't want to be free as this. It was great. The whole point is, I only found one thing that works for me. I'm not that. That's I don't want people to describe how beautiful the truth is. I just want to know what I'm not. That's all I want. If I know what I'm not, then I am that truth. I don't need to have great adjectives about it. Make it something mythical. All i got to do is I'm not this, and then I'm that. I'm all of that by not being this. It's so fast. And it's not built, built on you. It's not based on how you're doing and how you're feeling. You are not the authority anymore. That vote's been taken care of. No matter what you did today, you're always free. 
If it's based on you, you're going to say you're close and far. Isn't it? It's like that little game we used to play when we were kids. They'd hide something in the in the lawn, and they go, okay, you're getting closer, hotter, hotter, hotter. And then some, they go, oh, you're cold again. It's what your mind does with God or truth. You're thinking, oh, I did a three-month retreat. I'm close, I'm cold. Oh, I said something bad to someone at work. Oh, cold, cold, cold. What is it but mind playing God? See what the, the authority of your life is. And if it's a bogus authority, there's your freedom. Like that. How can you not be able to entertain being free if you're not it? If you're not something, you can be free of it, obviously. If you are something, you can't be free of it. You've got to get it better or whatever, socialize it or therapize it or whatever you do. But if you see it's not you, the possibility to be free from it arises like a clear, clear light in an open sky. It doesn't need to be provoked or pushed out. It just arises. You finally entertain the idea of being free from that. Why? Because you've heard an invitation, I may not possibly be that. You can never be free as that. No freaking way. But you can be free from it. This is how it started. I don't know if anything ever happened, but I heard it. Someone shared it with me. And I entertained it. That's all I did. I'd read something, and it would like, there would be pauses galore in these books, because they're changing the whole way I saw everything. My whole mental system was going... It's like a big boat turn, getting turned in the ocean. And then just opened up, opened up, and then the mind verified its own information. It just... I mean, you'll know the problem by the solution. When you have a sense, I'm not that, you'll realize that is the problem. So clear, so freaking clear. They were on the money describing the problem. But they didn't recognize that it's identification, not obsession. It's identification as self, not obsessing over it. Obsessing over it is what the head that's identified as it does all day. That's how it reinforces the identification. Sorry, folks. You know, that's what it does. The head has, let's say, 70,000 thoughts a day. Do you, does it take you 70,000 thoughts to do your job a day? What are all those other thoughts doing? They're reinforcing the idea of being a self. It's just a giant, swirling advertising campaign. It's selling you a product, A-U, yeah? And then there's a belief in it, and now the A drops off, it's you. And there's, then your story goes on, continues, continues, continues. And you feel like a historical you, and you worry about being a historical you in the future, and it's selfing, selfing, selfing. How's it working out for you? Any questions? No? Great. I'm really happy to see everyone. We'll have one more meeting Monday night. But don't believe me. Go to the website. There could be one on Wednesday. I can't tell what time I'm leaving. But then we'll be back August 29th. So we'll start again. Like I think the next day is a Monday, so we'll have it if I'm alive or whatever. The 30th, the 30th, I believe, well, we'll be here on Monday, the August 30th. Saturday. Hmm? This Saturday we're having a meeting, yes. Saturday and Monday are the last ones. So uh, we'll pass the basket then. And we have tons of stuff in the back. We have a two-set DVD that may or may not work, but you can give it a shot. If it doesn't work, your money will be reimbursed. They're $10, and then there's varying shirts at varying prices. All the latest models. Done personally by me. I have a little t-shirt making. Then this group calls me up. They're calling up people who invite people, and they, all they want to know is what kind of car you drive. So I said, I have an 87 Toyota pickup. 
my life is very lavish. It's got 280,000 miles on it. And I can't park on a hill. There's no parking brake. And I can't beep the horn because I have no horn. I haven't beeped anyone in 10 years here driving. And yet I've survived. It's amazing. And so did that qualify you to talk? They, uh, I was supposed to call them back and I forgot. Come on. Yes, I'm fulfilling a, qual- a qualification. <laughs> I know some people that say they're awake uh, late in three times in one life. That's pretty amazing. We think only one would do it. Getting a little obsessive, don't you think? So, uh, let's. You want to end with a serenity prayer? We do. We say a prayer from the government.